If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Skids off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. Welcome into another edition of the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovitz back in the host chair for our friend Jeffrey Gorman this week on today's pod. I'm joined by Lara Overton and Matt Taylor here at the NFL Combine in the Indianapolis Convention Center as we download Chris Ballard's press conference than what we heard today on Tuesday and what it means for the Colts moving forward. Later in the show, friend of the pod, Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports will join us for an in-depth look at everything you'll see happening in Indianapolis this week, throw out a couple names for the Colts to look at in the NFL draft. Really good stuff later in the podcast. Before we begin, though, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to us right now in your earballs. Mayte and Lara, we are back. We are back in downtown Indy. It feels like... It took you no time to get earballs in there whatsoever. It's, your, it's, my, it's my favorite word to use on the podcast, and I think I'm going to make it Lara's favorite word you to are use in, on the podcast. You are in peak combine form. We're like two hours in. I am in peak combine form. I've been, I've been buzzing. I've been here since like 9 a.m., catching up with some old friends, getting crap from people on the Bears beat because I asked Matt Eberflus a question about Frank Reich. It's oh, been nice. it's been good. Yeah, he what said, did he say? He said he learned a lot from Frank Reich on how to handle being a head coach and how to you know delineate responsibilities yeah. and how to handle being you know the defensive coach but talking to the offense. Really good answer uh, from Matt Eberflus on well, that. But well, uh, Mayte and I our relationships in a really tough spot right now. We started out the day very strong. Yeah. He gave up a diet coke for me and then he took one back from me. This is so, a problem. Yeah, it was, we, a, it was a classic who done it on the diet coke <laughs> where I thought the diet coke represented one thing and really represented something else because I gave her a diet coke which I thought she didn't want because I saw a diet coke when I came back so I took the diet coke that I thought was being neglected which I took as a shot to me um, and then turns out she got a second Diet Coke that I didn't know about because she yeah. drank the first Diet Coke. It yeah. was a whole it's a whole thing. Let's be honest. I probably don't need that much caffeine anyway. So, yeah, you probably did me a favor. I don't know. Thing. At the NFL Combine, there's no such thing as too much caffeine. Yeah, Let's agree. be honest here. <laughs> um, but the only problem is that they have Diet Pepsi. And, you know. This is why I'm smuggling the Diet Cokes is, and I'm hoarding those. Long Hence conversation this, that this, we're this, have on this. this goes back to our uh, grocery conversation that we had last week. I have, I, ha- I see no problem in Diet Pepsi being a substitute if they don't have Coke. But you two uh, snobs look uh, at Pepsi as if it's not an option. No, no go. No, it's not. And I just have to give you guys like an indication of what has happened the whole day of while we have our table set up. Which, by the way, can we just address how much fun it is to have everyone back here at the it's convention so center, good. At Lucas Oil Stadium? So but we good. have a table set up in the convention center, and the press conferences are just on. The the other side of the room so like every nfl team has a gathering has a table over here matt taylor has been the most popular guy in the room every team has come over to like pull matt over for an interview and then jj stankovitz has been the second most popular guy he just had somebody i have no idea who come up and fist bump him straight off of like a fluce interview and That's what you he's do. hugging That's everybody i know yeah, i know chicago bears general manager ryan poles got lost because Bears director of uh, media relations, Brandon Faber, came over to say hi to me. So there sorry, sorry, Ryan Poles. Sorry, Ryan Poles. Uh, anyways, we have some things to talk about on this podcast, don't we? Indeed. We, we, we heard from Chris Ballard today at the podium. He had a little side sesh after it. And most of the questions were what you would expect. It was about Carson Wentz and the future of the quarterback position here in Indianapolis. Um, guys, b- before we start, I want to play a little bit of audio Uh, This is one question that Chris Ballard answered from our friend Mike Wells at ESPN. And it was about his belief in Carson Wentz or potentially if he still does believe in Carson Wentz. So take a listen to this. Not saying we don't, but in the long term best interest for us, I think as we sit down and work through whether Carson's the long term best answer or not is the best way I can put it. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, and that's something that we'll talk about as a group and move forward. And whatever decision we make um, will be the best one for us. All right. Well, that that a interesting quote from Chris Ballard just talking about, you know, it's not necessarily that we don't believe in Carson, but the, the way I took it, guys, and I want to get your opinion on this, is Chris Ballard is thinking not just short-term but long-term, trying to find that long-term fix 
at quarterback, and they're still talking through if Carson Wentz can be that guy or not. Mete and Lara, you were both in. Lara, I'll start with you. What did you hear specifically in that answer we just played, but just in general, the, the tone that Chris Ballard took in talking about Carson Wentz today? I took it as... Oh, sorry about that, Lara. Go ahead. All good. I took it as Carson Wentz returning seems like it's even more of a possibility, I think, than anyone thought, that there is greater potential than what it seemed there could be two and three weeks ago because Chris said he had a sit-down with Carson Wentz just today. Today. And he went into, and I know we're going to hear the full explanation Mm -hmm. from Chris, but went into the criticism that comes with that position and different things. And he noted that he thinks Carson is going to grow from this and be better because of what he has gone through. Now, he didn't commit to Carson in the long term, but nor did he dismiss anything. It just seemed like, to me, these conversations are incredibly fluid. The whole situation is, and there is kind of a committee of people who are invested in figuring out exactly what the direction is going to be. And that is, of course, Chris Ballard. That's Frank Reich, and that's Jim Irsay exploring how they're going to handle this offseason. And one of the things I thought was interesting, and this answer went kind of the way I thought it would, but it was something that needed to be pointed out. Because of the trade that you made and the implications that you already have invested in him, does that alter how you handle this situation? Mm -hmm. Because you made the trade and you gave some things up in order to get that. Chris said that doesn't impact anything at all. So that's something worth noting as these conversations continue. I also, I know everybody wants answers right now. I think people wanted answers the day after the season ended. I think we're a ways away from knowing exactly what that answer is going to be because Chris explained that he and Mr. Ursay and Coach Reich are all going to spend some time over the next few weeks delving into this process and I think this meeting that Chris had with Carson today was probably to get a good gauge on where his level of commitment is how much he's been impacted by everything heck Carson put out on his Instagram yesterday he was throwing with Michael Pittman Jr. and Desmond Patman Mm -hmm. and you know Michael Pittman is saying block out the noise and and those type of things so I started to see like oh man I feel like that that crack in the door was barely open, barely, barely ajar. Now it seems like that that's starting, there's a sliver of daylight mm-hmm. in which this whole thing could come full circle in the next couple of weeks as we approach the NFL free agency period and you're preparing for the NFL draft because so far in these very early mock drafts, it's not an incredibly strong quarterback class. So if you're thinking of drafting a guy, the options and are limited there. you don't have a first-round pick. You don't right, have a first-round right. pick to do it. And the, beyond that, any of these free agency quarterbacks are very limited, and then the trade possibilities are very sparse as well. Well, they weren't there at the end of the season, and it sounds like they're still not there yet. They're still discussing what to do with that position, how to handle it. Can they get better results out of Carson Wentz? Can they, you know, Chris Ballard at the end of the season talked about making the layups and just taking what's there and being better in, in, in the simplistic plays, if you will. And I still think that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and Jim Irsay, as Chris said, they're still talking, they're still deliberating, and it's it's healthy discussion. It's back and forth, and they don't always see eye to eye. You know, they, they see the game a little bit differently. There's some nuance there, so to speak. Um, but that's okay. That's healthy. It's it's good to have back and forth banter a little bit. So I still think they're kind of kicking around what the future of the team is at quarterback, and they're still trying to figure out what the best play is here long term. Is that Carson Wentz? If it's not him, as you said, Lara, what, what are our options in free agency? Do we have limited options in the draft given the fact that we don't have a first-round pick? So the biggest takeaway that I got from Chris Ballard speaking today, and we should preface, we're talking after Chris and before Frank, so we haven't heard Uh Frank. Frank's going to talk at 4 o'clock this afternoon as we tape this. But from what I got from Chris is they're still talking through it. They're going to go all the way through it. They're not going to overreact just because they need a quarterback. Fans think they need to make a change from Carson Wentz. Um, He's not going to be overreactive. He's not going to let the end of the season and the disappointment of how the last two games unfolded dictate what he does. It's still trying to put the best foot forward for this franchise, given the fact that there is still uncertainty at quarterback. And again, the biggest takeaway that I had is that publicly, Chris Ballard is no more further along definitively at quarterback now than he was on January 10th. And one of the things 
I think is worth noting in all of this is there has been some conversation in recent weeks about Carson not having the locker room behind him and those different things and maybe his relationship with some of his teammates may have been strained. I don't think that there's anything to back that up if he's out there throwing with Pitt and Des and he's got those guys, you know, behind him. And you saw all of the comments on that from any of the guys who I have spoken with from the end of the season on. I've never gotten that indication Mm -hmm. internally. And I'm curious when Chris notes we have playmakers talking about. Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr., Naheem Hines, he discussed all of those guys in his press conference. If those guys seem to have a good rapport, and that's not strained whatsoever, and there was a big conversation in the debrief after about going on potentially having a fifth quarterback in five years Uh and the difficult rotation of just a turnstile at the most pivotal position on the field – I wonder if there is something to be said for is the continuity Mm -hmm. and carrying this over, knowing what we have to correct and knowing we can address it and then seeing is Carson willing to work on these things? Is he willing to invest in correcting those things? Is that a better scenario? So it was interesting because that's something that I feel like kind of has come to light more and had been a development in recent days. So I want to play this next piece of audio, and this is Chris Ballard talking about that conversation he had with Carson Wentz in addition to that talking about some of the criticism you get playing quarterback. So take a listen to this. I'll tell you, I visited with Carson today in my office for an hour. It was good. It was really good. Um, I think handling, I think learning to handle the criticism and it, I mean, I think what you always have to ask yourself, I, and always ask it with the criticism I get, which is, you know, some of it's deserved. Um, but is, I always ask, is the criticism fair? Is it fair? I'll take it in if it's fair. If it's not fair, then what am I doing? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wasting my headspace on that. But if the criticism's fair, then we got to be able to look internally and accept that and grow from it. And look, I'm not saying all of your, it's most of it's pretty fair. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how he grows from this. I think he will. So again, guys, if we're sitting here on March 1st talking about the door being cracked open to Carson Wentz returning to the Colts and being the Colts quarterback in 2022, this I thought was a really interesting quote where he said that, you know, because I, I think that there has been some concern on the outside that all the rumors and the criticism will make it almost untenable for Carson Wentz to come back. And that's not the impression I got from Chris Ballard in this in this answer. It sounds like if, you know, if Carson Wentz is going to be back in 2022, the criticism and the experience and everything that's swirled for the last month and a half, Chris Ballard expects will make him better. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is coming off a conversation they just had on 56th Street in Chris Ballard's office on Tuesday morning. So to me, that's a little bit encouraging if you do see number two coming back and being your starter is that the weight of all of this, Chris Ballard does not expect to hinder his performance and hinder his growth in 2022. See, I love how honest Chris Ballard is because what we just heard and what you can gather from that soundbite is, you know, the the media has a job to do and there's columns and there's podcasts and there's fan sections, right? I mean, do, and now more than there ever do, have been, do right? Do people With still do outlets. message boards, right? I mean, I'm Twitter, sure there are. Okay. TikTok. So, from, from the beat writer's perspective, they, I think, do a really good job of writing the truth, backing it up with uh, statistical information that supports, you know, what their articles are in regards to. And Chris Ballard noted today, we, we deserve some criticism, and you all give us that, and for the most part, it's fair. And what other general manager is going to say, mm-hmm. it's fair to mm-hmm. criticize us and rip us when it's warranted. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about Carson Wentz, some of his play last year was fair to be critical of. But there's also stuff that, to your point, Lara, that happens behind the scenes a little bit that we don't see, that we're just never going to have answers to. There's no question that you know Carson Wentz is thick-skinned and he can take it. And he knows he's got to play better, taking what the defense is giving you, giving yourself a chance in some of these situations. Um, So from that standpoint, 
I liked what Chris said about Carson being a good teammate, mm-hmm. being a, a leader of the team that can take a lot of that stuff because we all know it's it's incredibly hard to play quarterback in this league. I mean, there's 32 starting quarterbacks. How many of them would you classify as elite guys that have a chance every year to take their team to the Eight. Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Eight that's, to ten. that's being generous, I think. Yeah. So it's a really hard thing to do, plus you've got... And, and I'm going to say, I think that there are more of them of late because of the young emerging talent at that spot mm-hmm. when you do Especially look Especially in the AFC. In the AFC, yeah. AFC. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, you know, Patrick Mahomes, although he's younger, has certainly been one of those guys right. for years now. And right. so Lamar Jackson won an MVP. Lamar you know? Jackson, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a problem. Right. Now that they, Herbert. Yeah. Oh, man, so yeah. So I yeah. think... I think, again, with Chris meeting with Carson Wentz today as we tape this here, to me represents there is open dialogue, there's still a conversation going on, and Carson is open to the feedback. He's receiving it, and I think, in a healthy way that can help this team going forward if, in fact, he's the quarterback of the Colts next season. And something that I think has gotten completely lost and not talked about enough at the end of the season that I think is a huge deal, I thought it was a big deal last season when it didn't happen in this case, OTAs, minicamp, there will be an off-season workout program there has this to season. Be. Yep. You know, the Colts were one of those teams last year with the backdrop of COVID. Let's face it. Let's be honest. The, the players used the, the backdrop of COVID to get out of OTAs. They wanted it to be condensed. Well, because you also had the longer season that they were looking toward yeah. as well. So they made some modifications so there was in the some, schedule knowing back you were going was, to 17 games. It was a compromise. There were There were concessions made on both sides. But I, I just thought last year, I know I'm getting off the point a little bit, but I just thought last year with a new quarterback for the third or fourth straight year, I thought it was really important to have an offseason workout program. They're going to have one this year, and if Carson Wentz is the quarterback, he can take all of this constructive criticism that he's getting now, healthy-wise, from Chris Bowden and Frank Reich, if he's still here, and use that to his big advantage starting in April. Regardless of Carson Wentz, it's imperative because you've got a new defensive coordinator. You've got a whole new scheme to install. And let's be honest, the defense collapsed in several scenarios, and Chris noted that at the podium. He said it wasn't just the end of the season. Look at the way we started the season. Look at, you know, um, the, the Baltimore game. game. The Ra- I mean, yep. that uh-huh. was a perfect example in that scenario so a number of issues this does not all fall on Carson Wentz's shoulders and I think that we are starting to see a more balanced picture of all of the factors that contributed kind of to the end of the season certainly you know your quarterback is always going to take some of the blame and and rightfully so as Chris noted but one thing we learned I had not heard this and you guys may have heard it but after he was off the podium Chris continued and did a media debrief and he was asked about returning offensive and defensive linemen with a few guys who have not yet been re-signed who are going to go up on the open market if they don't do something don't sign something sooner and Chris noted that Eric Fisher, of course, was coming off the Achilles injury and felt like he had a really strong seven-game yep. stretch. But then the latter part of the season was dealing with a pec mm-hmm. and a knee injury. Yeah. So, I mean, we had that in the injury, injury report. We didn't know how severe it was. We didn't know how severe it was. Well, if you don't think that had implications on everything as well, mm-hmm. like you also have to uh, uh, you know, realize how much of the – end of the season those final two games with the play at the quarterback position was also impacted by Eric Fisher's health and then also you know of course COVID cases and all of that those things as well so I think that you're looking at a greater picture now all of the different things and yes the quarter the quarterback situation is going to be addressed but there are a whole lot of other situations that you cannot ignore as well you need more weapons in your offense and ty hilton is one of those conversations that was brought up as well well, his future well that that goes back to what you said earlier about how the end of this season ended with those two games against i want to say oakland las vegas and jacksonville don't say that too loud because vegas is right next to us us. yeah obviously those were two winnable games and we all know after christmas night that huge win against the Cardinals where depth was tested and so many guys stepped up and analytically speaking you had a 98% chance of making the playoffs after that game I I get it it was a bad collapse but those two games they kind of are in the bigger picture of things if you close out week four week six or week eight where you have double digit lead or 
defense can make a stop against Tampa Bay in the final you know segment of the game. You know, it's not just about those two games. I understand those two games represent a lot, and they're hugely disappointing. But it's a 17-game schedule, and the Colts lost eight games. They could have helped themselves along the way across the board. All right, so let's talk about, since we, we've hit the quarterback, and we are going to, trust me, listeners, we are going to he talk about a this a lot. Which is, you know, again, it, we're talking about the whole thing here. Um, a couple other interesting things that Chris Ballard had to say today. I thought the, the answer he got when he was asked about, essentially, if the offense, offense has enough weapons. And he said he thinks they have three. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, Michael Pittman, obviously, and Naheem Hines. I thought that was a really interesting answer because Naheem's a guy who, the, the 2018 through 2020, he was a weapon in this offense. He was a guy the Colts felt they could give the ball to outside the tackles, between the tackles, get the ball in his hands through the air in some different ways. We didn't see as much of that in 2021 for you know, probably multiple reasons, just like, you know, everything else, there's not just one reason to point to. But I thought that was interesting that he included him in that answer, which tells you if the Colts, that, that think about that answer in a couple of weeks, depending on what the Colts do in free agency. If they don't go get the guy who everyone wants them to go get, the, the big name receiver or whoever that, you know, big time target might be, go back to that answer and listen to the trust that Chris Ballard has in those three guys and the kind of weapons they can be in this offense. I thought that was really interesting and something I'm definitely filing away for later. Now, that being said, you can also never have too many weapons on your offense. So when you look at it from that perspective, okay, you could still go add someone. But again, if if this offseason, if free agency in two weeks is not the big splash addition at that position that I think some fans want it to be, I'm going to go back to that answer and probably contextualize it a little bit. Well, looking at especially the guys you could potentially lose if T.Y. Hilton retires, if Jack Doyle retires. Hold on, hold on. Let's talk real quick about T.Y. Because there was a little bit of news there that Chris Ballard said as of a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. T.Y. Hilton told him he wants to play Mm -hmm. in 2022. So let's just kind of throw that back out there. Jack Doyle, we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was interesting too. And and Chris reinforced that he thinks – T.Y. still has good football left in him, yep. and he said the injury was really unfortunate, but the thing that gives T.Y. some longevity in this latter part of his career is Chris noted that he's one of the smartest football players mm-hmm. that he has ever cerebral. been around. Yeah. Yes, very cerebral. So that is going to produce some intrigue behind what the Colts, how the Colts explore T.Y. Hill and how other teams explore the possibility. We know that there was interest from other teams mm-hmm. at this point last year before T.Y. decided to return and the agreement was made for him to come back to the Colts for a 10th season. So that was interesting. We don't know uh, Jack's outcome, but Chris reinforced one of the things when we were talking about weapons. He still really believes in Paris Campbell. Really yeah, believes right. in Paris Campbell. Uh, Paris has been around. He's been training. We know that he's been within the facility. We have seen him. Congratulations to Paris and his wife. They just welcomed a daughter a week or two ago. So mm-hmm. he's you know kind of been doing all of that. And in addition to investing in his rehab and come back from that injury, they're going to be there's the potential for a lot of big moves to be made, adding at those critical positions to support whatever quarterback, whether it's Carson Wentz or not, you've got to bring in yeah. more help, especially in your receiving game. I think Paris Campbell can absolutely be, you know, at, at it, worst, a the, three. I mean, the moments you saw him, I mean, it was incredible. He was making – that guy makes plays. He, he has definitely shown flashes, but as we just looked it up before the podcast, the problem is he's missed 35 games in three years. So I don't know how you can objectively – rely on that production and and it's not the shot it's not a shot at Paris it's just reality he's been so unfortunate as far as injuries are concerned that you just don't know definitively what he can be because he's averaging five games a season so far in his NFL career I mean the Colts have yeah they've got three I think bona fide playmakers on their offense the guys that we just talked about but I think the issue then lies in Ashton Doolin, Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn. These are all guys you feel Zach Pascal. Kylan Granson. Kylan Granson, mm-hmm. if he comes back, or uh, Pascal, that is, if he comes back in free agency. You got guys with a ton of upside. In some of their cases, uh, in small sample sizes, you've seen what they can do. I think Ashton Doolin is a guy that's deserving of a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Desmond Patman. But at the end of the day, how much of a gamble is it going to be 
throwing those guys into bigger roles and counting on Desmond Patman to get 700 yards, counting on Ashton Doolin to get 500 yards. We just don't know the answer to that question. And Chris Ballard's pretty confident in that group. But, you know, confidence on paper obviously doesn't always translate to what it needs to be you know, in the box score at the end of a 17-game season. Let's talk a little on the defensive side of the ball uh, just before we kind of wrap up here and then move on to Eric Edholm. And, you know, Chris Ballard said, you know, about the defensive line, they do need to kind of overhaul that position group again. He said need more pass rush. Need more pass rush, which I think we all know. Um, I think Gus Bradley's scheme still lends itself to generating some more of that, especially for a guy like Quiddy Pay, a guy like Dio Dangbo. But, you know, talking about that, there are a bunch of free agents coming out of that defensive line room, you know, Kamoko Ture, who you, we talked about uh, on the podcast, you and Lara and uh, Bill talked about on the podcast that you can listen to on the Colts Audio Network in your feed, uh, Al-Kadeen Muhammad, Isaac Rochelle. Taekwon uh, Lewis. Taekwon Lewis, you know, and Taekwon Lewis, the guy who Chris Ballard, every time he has a chance to go back he, like, to help. He, like, goes out of his way to yeah, mention Taekwon Lewis. That's important. He does, yeah, he loves him. It's important to know because he very much values Taekwon Lewis, and when he got hurt, that definitely hurt the Colts' defensive line depth, but you think about that position group and, and maybe what needs to be done there. Um, didn't really get an indication of where that might come from, whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency, but just kind of reinforcing that, yes, that is a group that needs to be better on that side of the ball. Well, they had 33 sacks this past season. That was their fewest since 2017. A year ago, they were 12th in sacks. This past season, they went from 12th to 25th. So, However you want to look at it, they definitely gambled, right? Right? No, Danico Autry didn't re-sign Justin Houston. They gambled and counted on that young core, uh, that, that committee, if you will, of pass rushers to get the job done as a group. And now some of that committee is up in free agency, and you don't know how many or who is going to come back. Because I think Torre, as we talked about, I think has the best just natural burst get-off mm-hmm especially on third down, than anybody else on that defensive line. So I think from that standpoint, he is worth a look at bringing back on a short-term prove-it deal because he's battled his fair share amount of injuries as well. Quiddy Pay's coming off year one. Dio Adengbo's coming off year .5 because he was on mm-hmm. PUP for most of the season. I personally think that the Colts will make a decently strong push to solidify this pass rush group with a veteran free agent because he talked about that. Chris Ballard talked at the end of the season that maybe I should have bolstered that unit with someone that was proven as a veteran. I don't think they're going to obviously go outside of their general principles of overpaying and overspending no matter where it is uh, in relation to the start of free agency or maybe they wait a month. But I think the Colts will be interested, very interested, in bringing in somebody they can trust character-wise and production-wise to add more consistency to their pass rush. One thing about Quiddy's production, because he looked so good coming out of the preseason. He mm-hmm. looked so strong. That hamstring injury, yep. he battled that. That had a greater impact than I think anyone really addressed early on in the season. I mean, that was so defeating for him in that game down at Tennessee. He had to come out of the game early, and he said that he really had to pull back Mm -hmm. until the latter part of the season. It wasn't until pretty significantly later into that third quarter of the season, probably even maybe into the fourth quarter of the season, where he felt like he was at 100% and able to get that push off of the line, that explosiveness off of the line. So I do think that that's one thing to note, too, is Quiddy's rookie campaign. That's why you saw him come on so much stronger at the end of the year because he finally had confidence Mm -hmm. in that injury again. And, you know, one of the reasons you look to potentially that they did not do this last season in terms of being able to bring back more of those free agents on the edge or sign other free agents on the edge, bringing T.Y. Hilton back. You'd made the trade for Carson Wentz that you were somewhat limited in the amount that maybe you were able to invest in returning some of those guys when they were getting big money on the open market like you expect them to do. So yeah. you you may see a bigger push early on in free agency. I, I don't agree. think they're going to overspend. Agreed. But I do think they might be more aggressive in those first few days rather than mm-hmm. waiting. Usually it's kind of that second and, week where you, you know, see the Colts start to uh, target some guys. No doubt about it. And I just think pass rusher, edge rusher, 
I, I just think it's one of those positions that you just you would like to see it be done before, mm-hmm. you know, because it's something that you can draft and you can draft off potential and you can draft off ceiling. But for whatever reason, there's a variety of reasons why sometimes it just doesn't click. I think it will with Quiddy, but as we've seen, getting a guy in round two and, and with Therese's case, it's it's injuries. You know, Ben Banigou, he has been inactive for a majority of each of the last two years. Monster year for him. Ben Banigou, you know, it's everybody's saying, let's let's go. So with the draft, it's always a crapshoot. It's such an important position to have bona fide production that you can trust, that you can rely on. And it's not just the sacks. It's the disruptions. It's the pressures. It's in the face of quarterbacks, altering decisions, altering throws to help the back end. You know, those two things are always hand in hand. So that's why I think, given the urgency of this Colts roster and their build, this team's ready to go in a lot of important places. Edge rusher is something they're still tweaking. That's why I would not be shocked to see them be a little bit, have, have more of a sense of urgency in free agency at that spot. And that's why I love the addition of Gus Bradley so much because he can be such a strong voice for who they should target, who yep. will fit his defense, who are guys who he's had experience with or he's gone up against when he's been with other teams. We know he has that great relationship with Philip Rivers. It's like, hey, go to Philip. Who are the guys who absolutely menaced you? Who are who, the guys who you kept hate? you at night, up at night, yes, Philip? Exactly. Yeah, right. You know, you can and then also just Gus's, you know, knowledge and intelligence and scheme and all that way. And I think those factors are going to be very strong in consideration how you approach that position moving forward, as opposed to if you had a guy who was in a rookie coordinator type of role, a guy who was elevated from being a position coach to being a defensive coordinator. Gus Bradley's been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator at numerous stops. So I think that he is one who, as they look at the strategy in where they are going to invest their resources, Gus will have a strong voice in that room. All right, real quick, before we get to Eric at home, we had to splice together Lara's uh, response there because uh, an old friend stopped by the table, Matt Eberflus, head coach of the Chicago Bears. You know him as the Colts' former defensive coordinator, came by to say hi. And, like, I, I love the combine for this stuff. You get to see everyone. Everyone's all together. And guess what? Everyone is all together in downtown Indianapolis. I'm going out tonight. I'm going to go have some dinner at St. Elmo's with some friends. And gonna go, you know, hit up the bar a little bit. Subtle flex here. <laughs> yeah. just like, I didn't make the reservation. <laughs> I didn't make the reservation. I'm just Guess gonna what? get to go. I'm going home. Yeah, I'm going home to feed He's mac and cheese. Like, oh, to a my buddy, my buddy Roger and I are gonna go have a nice meal and some shrimp <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> you know, I might, but um, I, I will be so sad if the combine leaves downtown Indianapolis. That's where I'm going with this flex. Well, is that I will be so sad if the co- if the combine leaves and. Unfortunately, the the winds are pushing toward it going to you know somewhere the wind, else. The winds have changed, and I, it it's it's a shame because, like Chris Ballard said, no one does the combine better than this city yeah, that we're in. Yeah, and you're gonna have to go somewhere else to appreciate that and learn that, and you can let all the other yeah. places do their best. But exactly, like Lara's saying hi to a friend right now. Yes. I you know the, I had someone stop by the and say Maddie hi. Lovely Maddie Glab from Buffalo. Hello. Yeah. So. Maddie, what do you think about the combine in Indianapolis? <laughs> oh, I'm glad it's back in person so I can see people like Lara. <laughs> see? Yeah, that's exactly what JJ Aww. was saying. Yeah. So we have dinner that's tonight. Nice. i got to take this girl to dinner there you tonight. Go. We have okay. like 15 of us who yeah. are going to go have dinner tonight. So, so great. We're Not all... at St. Elmo's or anything, you uh, know, because we got a budget to stick to. But <laughs> well, I'm blowing the budget for one night. But, guys, <laughs> this, the, the well, I guess next year if the combine's outside of Indianapolis. Yeah, we'll you can do whatever you want there, yeah. JJ. But the the – the thing that stinks is like this is this is the first combine we've had in two years, and it feels like all right, like we made it, we're back together. This is great, and then it's going to change, mm-hmm. and that just that, I don't know. That stinks to me. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, like th- this all just what, what, feels like it kind of stinks that it might leave here. What what I think the outside media, those that are not from here, that have not covered the combine every year, what they don't understand is. In 2008, when you made the transition from the RCA Dome to Lucas Oil Stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium was built with, I don't know what the right terms are, fiber connectivity, fiber optic optic Uh communication or connectability, if you will, so that all of these x-rays, all of these MRIs come back in real time. They go straight to IU. They go straight to the hospitals and straight to the teams and straight to the doctors. I'm, I'm sure... You know, SoFi maybe has that. I don't know. But my point is, is that everything you need at the Combine from a logistical standpoint is within 
four blocks of Lucas Oil Stadium, the convention center, great restaurants, great hotels, great bars. Uh, I mean, the city loves having the combine here. And what's really going to suck from an economic standpoint yeah. is that most of the people around here, business-wise, they have the economic stimulus of the combine built into their budget. And that's going to go away probably, um, which stinks for the city. It stinks for the money that's going to leave here. Uh, Job-wise, it's unfortunate. But I guarantee you, if you were to poll every GM, every head coach, every important you know football decision maker, would you like to see the combine stay in Indianapolis? I guarantee 100% of them would say yes. But the NFL is a marketing tool. And they're going to treat this thing like an event. They're going to treat it just like the com or the, the draft, uh, the draft, yeah. and move it around and make it make money off of it, which you can understand. But just from an operation standpoint, nobody can do the combine better than Indianapolis. I don't think it's the last time that Indianapolis will make an effort. I think that they will probably make a bid to host a combine. What I would like to I see. I hope though- that wherever it goes fails drastically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that girlfriend in, in college. Hey, come on back. Come on back. You didn't know how good you had it until you left. Like when Justin Houston went back to play in Kansas City and had that monster game, come right? On, come and we were in the locker back. room afterward, and he was talking, it's like that ex-girlfriend, you know, when you show up type of thing. Uh, still one of my favorite quotes of all time from Justin Houston, because Justin didn't talk a lot, but, like, we would drop gems from time yeah. to time when you were paying attention. But So if it goes to Dallas, I hope it says – a big of a failure as their Super Bowl. Here's what I hope is... It, Whoa! Yeah, that Super Bowl was a disaster. You're sneaking that one. Wasn't that a big ice storm? Yeah. Well, it's February. It was, yeah, 2011. That was the Super Bowl the Colts or the Indianapolis was supposed to hold. And then Jerry Jones at the last minute sweetened the pot, uh. swooped in, got 2011. The Colts got 2012. It was 75 degrees, and we were uh-huh. looking at palm trees in February that year. Remember that? Yeah. Were you yeah. here for that? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was I here. Mean, it, well, it, I guess you could say that Dallas had an icy reception. They did. Oh, the Super Bowl. wow. Did. Wow. Should was, we get Derek at home? Um, I was just going to say, well, <laughs> here, tell on. now that I've, I've gotten on a – we've totally taken a turn. But what I was going to say is I would like for Indianapolis, I think Indianapolis will bid again to have the, yeah. the combine come back. I think it will be on a rotation mm-hmm. type of a schedule. I would love to see Indy host the draft. Yeah. I would love to see Indianapolis oh, get a chance to, hands, to host a draft. It. And I'm curious if there might be a bit of a, all right, if we take the combine away, do we give you a little stronger consideration to potentially bringing a draft there? Because Indy has done such a great job hosting NFL events, but maybe the league wants to rotate the combine around that to me is a perfect trade-off let's get a late april weekend could you imagine like having late april you got the draft to kick things off and then you go straight in the month straight of may 500 like let's just go the mini marathon the next weekend all right picking oh. up the trash Derby let's day. go <laughs> well for your standpoint yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the i won't see you guys for saturday yeah in may. cinco de mayo <laughs> all right well hey we we are going to get out of here uh we are going to bring in eric ed home for some really interesting talk about the draft he also has some thoughts about the Combine moving potentially out of Indianapolis, but hopefully coming back. Mete, take it away. It's not the NFL Combine until we talk to this guy. It's Eric Edholm, <laughs> NFL, NFL Draft Insider, Yahoo Sports. He's a friend. He's a staple. He's the man. Welcome back to Indianapolis, sir. How wow. are you? What an intro. Hell Thank yeah. you. Yeah, this is like missing the Combine in 2021. Welcome back. Two years. Hell we, yeah. we got to come we got strong. strong. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm doing it, great. Dude. Yeah. Between this and Senior Bowl, I've gotten out twice now in the last, <laughs> you know, three weeks. That's it's, an accomplishment. It really is. It really is incredible. Life-changing. And you're, I mean, not too far, right? Based yep. in Chicago. Yep. So what, what's the buzz in Chicago regarding new regime there? Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator for the Colts. How's it going? Yeah, I think it's, it's like, well, let's see what this guy's made of, right? I think it was probably not the name that most Bears fans would have come up with initially, but then once they started seeing, okay, he's made it to the second round interviews, right? They're they're raving about him in Indy, you know. It's it's more likely to go from an offensive coach to a defensive coach, right? And and there's, you know, there's always the question of, all right, well who's who's running the play, you know, calling the plays, who's going to help Justin Fields out, but you know, I think everyone's excited. You know, Ryan Poles, the new GM, too. You know, a lot of fresh blood in the, in the building. They kept some good people. They added some new people as well. You know, the Bears are in that, that nether space. Like, are they ready to take off or are they ready to go in the tank? We don't know. You know, so it's going to be fun to see how they build it up. So we're back here in Indianapolis, and, and it's been cool for me. You know, I used to cover the Bears, being yeah. able to catch up with some folks on the Bears beat, talking to them about the same thing we just talked about there about Eberflus. Yeah. But 
you tweeted something yesterday that really resonated. Um, and you tweeted that you were a little, you just got a little sad when you read something that our I friend know. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic wrote about how this might be the last combine here in Indianapolis for a little while. Um, we hope it's not, certainly. This is my first combine living here in Indy, and right. man, it's great being able to drop the kids off at daycare right. and come downtown. Wonderful, get a I little extra family time. From here. 12 minutes. Slept in my own bed. It was oh glorious. It's going to be a little different if we uh, are out in Dallas or Los Angeles. But what about Indianapolis, Eric? Do you like about the combine? Like, what about this setup for the NFL, for NFL media, for teams? Yeah. Do, you, do you appreciate about it here? Well, technic, most people don't have to leave their building, <laughs> right? They can go on the skywalks and there's this, 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 uh, if, you know, if war ever makes it over here, I think we can, we can all live in Indianapolis and tunnel our way through to every hotel and yep. uh, resource we need. But yeah, no, there's that. It's very walkable. Obviously there's the familiar haunts that everybody frequents mm-hmm. at night. We know where the, you know, the, 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 the big swingers go and we know where the, you know, uh, executives tend to hang out. Then there's always a few hidden spots too, but obviously the central location, I think it allows for, uh, you know, so many more media members to cover it. Obviously, it's convenient for the mm-hmm. teams and whatnot, and you can get people uh, like me who can drive and like you guys who there can you drive. Go. You yeah. know, but but yeah, Indianapolis has always sort of had a little uh, little piece of my heart. We used to always drive through here on the way to my grandparents' house in Illinois, like in central Illinois. So we'd always sort of stop right around like lunchtime in Indianapolis as a kid growing up. So I always had a sort of a soft spot for the city. Anyway, where'd you go? Slippery Noodle or no? Gosh, there was a, there was a there was a Jewish deli. Shapiro's. Uh, Shapiro. It may have been Shapiro. Man, it's been two 20, blocks away, man. Oh, yeah, it's right say. there. I think I walked there about ten years ago uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, but that was the place in the '80s. And then we found a new spot too that we checked out, but I, I couldn't remember the light, name for the light. <laughs> Mug and bun or the whistle <laughs> stop in. Boy, you're you're <laughs> testing me here. I can barely remember last year's draft class, much much less what I ate for lunch in '87 or whatever. You know, so that's funny. Well, it's it's. I mean, you, you brought up last year's draft class. We yeah. got a whole new batch here what do you like most about this draft as we dive into this uh, really for the first time you do this 24 7 uh, as a career for a livelihood what do we need to know about this draft if we don't know anything about it give us the uh, the hallmarks if you will of this yeah draft. yeah I mean obviously everybody starts with the quarterbacks and it's certainly probably a topic for you guys as well and and you know I've heard a lot of people just poo-pooing the class completely and this is not a good year and it doesn't stack up at all the last year well, maybe we overrated last year. Maybe we're not giving these guys enough, enough, you know, uh, attention. And maybe a, a Desmond Ritter surprises people, or maybe a, uh, you know, a Carson Strong tests well medically here, and we see, okay, you know, maybe we have to reconsider the guy. And yeah. you know, plus the ones who you know, have the highest potential, you'd say, like Malik Willis. So it's an interesting lot. I think at least one or two of those guys will end up being pretty, pretty good quarterbacks, and maybe more than that. Um, from other positions of strength, I think edge rush is really good. That's probably the strongest position. I think you can find a tackle in this class. It doesn't have to be round one, you know, obviously with keeping Indy in mind too. I mean, receiver, I, it's just crazy to me that it's not as good as the last two years, but for a position to be strong or at least above average three years in a row mm-hmm. like wide receiver has, that's kind of shocking. So there's just a surplus of talent there. A little weaker interior line, interior defensive line. You know, there's safety it drops off a little bit, but uh, you know, it's it's a blue collar draft. I would say more than a, than a fancy shiny Jamar Chase kind of draft. You know, does that mean it's a deeper draft? Like, does that mean you can find starter caliber players on day two and day three easier than? Not necessarily looking back to last draft, right. but just the the average baseline draft class. Yeah, it's what it lacks is the the the, the splashy high end talent at the top. So that's going to hurt teams picking in the top 10 or 12. But I think the depth at certain positions like uh, linebacker, like edge rusher, um, I think tackle is deep enough. Receiver we mentioned earlier. You know, running back after a certain point's not bad either. So at, at certain positions, yes, I think you can get starter quality players in rounds two through five. Now, you know, not throughout, but certainly at, at different points. Mm-hmm. But there are certain positions that it just feels like, once you get past the first couple of guys, there's real uncertainty. Tight end's fascinating because there's no top 50 prospect in my mind. But, boy, there's a lot of, you know, 50 to 150 overall, you know. And so that suggests, like, you might be able to get a really serviceable guy in round four at that spot. That's There's a lot of that, I think. 
Let's tie it into the Colts. Yeah. We've been asking everybody that we see here so far, just what do you make of the Colts situation? How surprised are you that we're sitting here talking about the uncertainty of Carson Wentz mm-hmm. a year after you know, the Colts made that bold move to a degree to give up a first-round pick to bring him in? They don't yeah. do that move right. right with only one year in mind. Right, That's not why that's made. How surprised are you where we are right Very. now? Very. Yeah, I would have guessed. and. You know, when I came to camp and saw you guys last summer, I think he had uh, he had just been put on the COVID list, or no, just had the injury. The foot, That's what the it was. Foot, the foot. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to remember what was keeping him out that day. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't get to see him, but the sense was, you know, provided he comes back and there's a lot of enthusiasm, if there's a place he's going to succeed in the NFL, this would be it. Right. You know, the right coach, the right environment, and the whole thing. Uh, you know, a run game to support him, a, a defense, the whole bit, but. It just didn't happen. The trust wasn't there. The performance wasn't wasn't what we expected, and and you know it felt like the buy-in, both you know from from all parties, wasn't there. So, yeah, very surprised because you know Chris Ballard, I would say, is has really been smart with how he's used his picks. Right, I would say he's built depth. He's he's understands the value of draft picks, um, but this is one that that people are going to go back and look at unless they figure that position out. So on March first, we don't. Again, we don't know what direction Correct. Colts are going to go yep. with that. But let's say they decide they want to go the direction of getting a quarterback through the draft. Mm-hmm. Is it realistic to get someone at 47 where their first pick is in the draft? Or is this a draft, even though there are questions about the quarterback class, is this still a draft where you need to move up to go get a, a starting caliber quarterback with upside or a, yeah. a safer type guy you can plug and play? A guy that can play next year. Yeah, right. exactly. And you feel exactly. good about it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that, – I'll probably be able to give you a little better answer by Sunday or, you know, once I've talked to a few people. But the, the feeling that I have right now is that even in a quote-unquote down year for quarterbacks, somebody's going to go high. Somebody's going to fall in love with Malik Willis. Somebody's going to convince themselves that, that uh, Kenny Pickett is Joe Burrow. So those two guys, I think, are off the table. Matt Corral didn't, wasn't, able to, wasn't eligible for Senior Bowl, isn't throwing this week. You know, it's possible his stock is volatile, right? He's at least somebody that within, uh, you know, a, a, a five iron of getting, right? <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could move up if he starts sliding a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Ritter earlier. He's mm-hmm. one to keep in mind. I, I think there's... The Cincinnati quarterback. Yes. Cincinnati quarterback led, you know, went back to school last year, led them to an unprecedented season, you know, a uh, team outside the group of five, or I mean, you know, in, I'm sorry, outside the, yeah, uh, making the, the, the playoffs, acquitting himself extremely well, you know, really showed improvement. Some people have said, you know, maybe we're, we're, we're not giving him the proper respect, much in the way that we did Dak Prescott in college. You know, Dak Prescott played four years, was more, more known as a running kind of quarterback over time. You know, he improved as a thrower, but... You know, he was, what, the eighth quarterback drafted yeah. that year or whatever it was? I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was crazy. I had him as my – I'd like to brag about this because it's like the one guy that I really nailed. But, you know, I gave him like a second-round grade because I thought, geez, this guy I think has some potential here. And yet there were mm-hmm. enough questions about him. I wonder if maybe Ritter is that guy to a certain degree where he's there for the taking at 47. People fall in love with Sam Howell instead of him or they, they see a little bit more upside in Corral or – or, or maybe they feel good about Carson Strong's health. Strong is another one to keep in mind. I mean, he's, he had a knee injury in high school, had to be worked on about a year ago. It was like February of last year. Originally, they didn't think he would be back for the start of the season. He was back in six months, showed some toughness. Not a, not a mobile, agile guy, but, boy, mm-hmm. he can shoot it. So those are the two he, that I would probably say fit the most from that perspective. Maybe Bailey Zappi from, from Western Kentucky, but I just don't know if you're going to, you know, a guy who played at Houston Baptist two years ago, now starting in the NFL as, as a rookie, that, that feels like a little bit of a stretch to me. What are the Colts' biggest needs outside of quarterback? Because yeah. they have to figure that out one way or another, make a decision on Carson Wentz, and then if it's not him, it's, it's someone else, either through the draft or free agency. Right. But outside of that, what is keeping the Colts away from – Cincinnati and Kansas City getting out of what they finished last year at nine and eight. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Cincinnati had explosive firepower. Kansas City, same thing, right? You know, you see some of that with the Bills too. You'd like to see a little bit more, I think, in the in the Colts offense, and you know, some of that depends on on you know how high a ceiling you project for Michael Pittman and and what you think about you know the other receiving options. But I would like to see another big playmaker outside of him. I would like to see an edge rusher. I think to add to that stable. You know, they've collected some bodies. I think you could 
you could probably work on the entire probably front seven at some point, you know, and just add more there as well. This is a throwing league, so corners and safeties are everybody's priority, but I think they, they would have to be on the Colts list as well. And, you know, they they have a good offensive line, but, you know, you have to back up your, your best units with depth and stuff too. So I would imagine, uh, you know, at least another tackle, I would think. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those, those are the kind of the ones that stand out. Are there other ones that I missed you think that, that probably need addressing? Or? Maybe, maybe, tight, tackle, maybe, maybe tight, tight end. end. Tight end. Um, you know, yep. you had that in there. But you, you know you've studied the draft. You, st- you know how every team operates in the draft. And knowing how the Colts operate in the draft, you know, last year – if we were talking to you at this time, if the combine existed, you probably would have been saying left tackle is top of the line sure, yeah. need for the Colts. And they didn't go out and draft a left tackle, which surprised some people. And then a couple weeks later, you know, they signed Eric Fisher. But right. knowing how the Colts operate with that, I, I just I feel like every team says we took the best player available because that's what you have to say. The Colts seem to really stick to that. Absolutely. When you look at how they draft, it's not drafting for need. Jonathan Taylor was not a need right. in 2020. Mm-hmm. What do you appreciate about the way that the Colts actually go about their draft process when you think about some of the needs, but then again, how they draft? In, in some ways, they're one of the easier teams to mock for. I know you just sort of undercut that by saying everybody thought left tackle, but <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I do when I watch players is think, that's a Chris Bauer guy right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't uh-huh. mean it's all Chris. I understand he's got an incredible staff. I mean, well, they, yeah. but what do you mean by that though? Like, yeah. what, what what fits? What's the criteria for that? Like Dio Adengbo last year. Mm-hmm. Watching him, I was like, I, you know, there. Of course, there are other teams that would love the guy. Sure. Right? You know, he was injured, and that's like. But it was like, I watched a kid on an zero and eight football team in the fourth quarter. I think it was either, it's either Ole Miss or Mississippi State. I'm blanking on the game or whatever. You know. They're down 41-14, and there's six minutes left, and he's still out there, first of all. And number two, he's out there chasing down a sweep from the backside. And, you know, a 270-whatever-pound guy, and I'm thinking, this dude doesn't quit. Like, he just doesn't care about the score or what's going on. He just wants to play hard. And so things like that that stand out, plus the length and a little bit of a burst, too. And, you know, it depends on each position. But certain guys just sort of pop out. You think, that's a Bill Belichick guy right there, you know. or He's a gunner on special teams. He does this and that. Um, but they've got to have grit. I think they've got to have intelligence. They've got to have passion. But they also have to have a little bit of that that athletic juice, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. just that little, that little uh, extra burst that comes with it. So, you know, that, that's certainly – you know, applies to the, the Darius Leonard's of the world and whatnot, Jonathan Taylor, et cetera. Sure. Well, we just got done talking about how the Colts, they're not going to reach. They're going to go best player available. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not going to screw up their draft board just to bring in a tackle for the sake of drafting a tackle. Yeah. So with that, they, they want to, if they're going to spend a second-round pick in this case on a left tackle, they want to feel really good about that guy, plug and play. He's not much of a project. How many guys are like that are going to be available in this draft in the second round if the Colts are peering at, at left tackle? Yeah, th- that's a good question. That's kind of an interesting spot right there because I think it's going to be a little too late for the kid from Central Michigan, Bernard Raymond, mm-hmm. who – has some Colts-like traits, and I could see them really liking him. I think that I think he's probably either going to be a first or a very early second. You know, then you get to the guy like from Ohio State, uh, Nicholas Petty Frere, mm-hmm. uh, little brother in French. My my French in high school <laughs> finally pays off. Uh, oui, oui. Yeah, well, years later, right? Um, uh, he's somebody that that's fascinating because like you can see first round potential in him. But then Aiden Hutchinson eats his lunch, you know, and then you have to go back and watch some other games and you say to yourself, does he not play up to his competition well enough? Is there, has he figured it out? Maybe good coaching coaxes it out of him. That's why I think he's more of a second-round pick than a first, even if he has, quote-unquote, first-round talent. That's, that's a question mark for me for whether he fits with a team like that. So, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to sit there and think a little bit more about guys who could be in that range, but... Yeah, I think tackle probably the top 50 you'd feel pretty good about getting a, your, your chance of getting one. A little bit beyond that, it's it's going to be Max Mitchell from Louisiana is somebody that I would keep in mind, kind of an athletic guy, a little bit more of a uh, higher-cut guy, but, but almost looks like a giant tight end, athletic dude, run blocker, really good, plays hard as well. He's somebody that I would keep in mind as well. You, you talked a little bit about wide receiver earlier and how this is like the third straight year that it is a deep draft for wide receivers. I think so. and you think about the 2020 draft where the Colts got Michael Pittman Jr. Yep. in the second round, Chase Claypool, another guy who went right around there. Why, why has that position 
been so deep? Is it because the NFL has adapted to some ways that colleges use their receivers just in terms of releases, route concepts? Is it because NFL coaches are getting better? Is the talent getting better? Like, why do you think that's been the case? I think we're in kind of a, a seven-on-seven era. That's it. Yeah, era. there that's it is, yep. And people love being a quarterback or a receiver, right? You can't throw your receiver then, right? If I want to touch the ball. Yeah. yeah. And and it's it's a it's a it's an alpha position. It's a diva position. It's a you know what I mean. I mean that in a, in a right. And you can do seven on seven year round. Exactly yep. right. I, I in the middle of a couple of winters ago, you know, I was watching guys who were into Florida, Ohio State. They were had this big you know seven on seven camp, and they had eight fields going at once. And like one team would come off, and another one would come yeah. on. It was like mm-hmm. this you know. And I thought to myself. It's like a football factory out here. And this is going on in cities all over the place. It makes you realize, like, boy, the need for DBs is so high. The mm-hmm. need for receivers, there's so many, right? It's <laughs> like, you, you know, you can be patient and get a pretty good player. But if you want, you know, those Jamar Chase types, they, they don't mm-hmm. come along very often. But there's some pretty good ones like Pittman and whatnot. Are, are the days of not having or not needing a an above-average wide receiver like Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, to do something in the playoffs or win the Super Bowl? Are those days over? That's a great question. And sometimes we overreact to a one- or two-year trend in the NFL, mm-hmm. and we say, oh, well, the team that won it had this. This must be the this new trend. This must be the blueprint. Yeah, right, but it, it isn't always the case. So, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, teams like New England will have to sort of look hard at themselves and say – you know, can we get by with guys like Jacoby Myers and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Nelson Aguilar and stuff? And I think, you know, the Colts are obviously in a little stronger position than that or whatever. But really, it is going to probably challenge some of those. If you can exploit a weakness, right, and, and, and figure out that there just aren't enough quality corners in this league and safeties, too, who can cover – you know, why wouldn't you, you go three, four, and five wide all the time and just pepper people with, with passes, you right. know? So so this week, you're, you know, the NFL Combine is back. They're, yeah. It's going to be televised all over NFL Network. Colts fans, you're not going to be able to avoid it. You're going to hear it on radio. <laughs> you're going to hear it on the Colts Audio Network. You're yeah. going to he- see it on ESPN and NFL Network and all these outlets that are covering it. What should it, – it's almost to me, it's like an overwhelming amount of information that Absolutely. you get. Absolutely. What is Eric Edholm, draft expert, looking Ooh. at? What are some of the drills you watch? And I'm not asking you to give me, like, you know, I will only watch a three-cone for the defensive line. But, like, right. what are just three or four drills that fans should keep an eye on for, you know, maybe some of the positions of need for the Colts? Okay. Yeah, I, would, I like watching the, the positional workouts to see mm-hmm. how flexible their hips are and how well they move and change direction, especially in coverage. Like, that's really the biggest thing where in this league, obviously linebackers, you want to stay on the field in third downs or, you know, get on the field at all, you got to be able to do that. So that's certainly, you know, an area where I like to watch those guys perform. But, yeah, the three-cone drill is probably still the best of the old-school, uh, you know, workouts that they do that shows that – you know, or even the 20-yard shuttle, for that matter. I think mm-hmm. that's maybe a little underrated in some respects in terms of working, you know, flat down the line and things like that. So, you know, those those two are probably the best for that D-line. You know, the, for quarterbacks, the combine throwing session, yeah, I want to see how they spin it. Yeah, I want to see what it, what it looks like coming out of their hands. You know, their footwork certainly matters, things like that. If you don't have pristine footwork in pristine conditions, yeah. Right. What's what going to happen when yeah. the pressure comes? You know, right. what happens when the rush comes on? Mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, Carson Wentz is, is – he looked at times beautiful throwing the ball down here in Indy at the, at the Combine or at the Senior Bowl and stuff like that. So that's probably the biggest thing is if they don't look pretty darn crisp throwing the football, I would, I would wonder why their mechanics aren't more consistent or more reliable. Last one for me. Have we graduated as – you know, football people, yeah. and, and really we're not in there. I mean, we can watch on television, but, you know, scouts and general managers that watch from the seats or the suites at Lucas Oil Stadium during the workouts, have they graduated to understanding and really putting into perspective what they're looking at in the sense that, you know, I kind of use the analogy, maybe it's a bad metaphor, if you will, but not everybody's a great SAT taker. doesn't right. mean you're dumb. <laughs> right. just means you kind of fall to the pressure of, of yeah. standardized testing. Yep. Have we kind of under, do we understand now what we're looking at if, if guys have a really bad couple of days at the combine? We can put that into perspective in the overall 
grand picture. I love that analogy. I love it. It's perfect, right? I mean, I knew people, smart people, who were bad standardized test takers, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, there there are people who come to the combine. Every you know, Allen Robinson, I think ran. What did he run? A four? It was like a four six seven or, seven, or six seven. or whatever. Orlando Brown is another guy that comes yeah. to mind. Yeah, perfect example. Like he had a terrible workout right. and was yeah. the butt of everyone's joke. Right. We're past the days of oh, we're just going to kill this guy because yeah. he sucked at the combine. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I do my winners and losers after the combine, right. and I was like, oh, man, I'm picking on the guy who, right. who mm-hmm. you know, weighed in with 28% body fat or whatever. And uh, But, you know. there I would it, love to weigh in with 28% body fat, by the way. I, that sounds great. If I could get under 30, I'd be, I'd be <laughs> pumped. You know, but we're not going to have that test this week. Yeah. Uh, it really is, is going to be interesting to see just kind of how much this combine affects. There, there's a feeling around the league with teams like the Lions and the Rams and who are a little outside the box thinkers. I would, I would probably put the Colts in that department too where, you know, there's only so much you can get out of a 40-yard dash. There's mm-hmm. only so much you can get out of, uh, you know, even the positional drills and things like that. The health and the interviews still are the biggest takeaway from Indy, I think. Yeah. No doubt about that. Eric Edholm, he is uh, he's one of our biggest takeaways from the <laughs> NFL Combine as well. Good to have you back, man. Always good to see yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. And Eric Edholm, check out his work. What are you writing about on the website this weekend after oh, the Combine? Good question. Yeah, probably something on the quarterbacks, probably something on uh, I think the Broncos are the first team to speak today. May ask them yep. about Aaron Rodgers. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Uh, yeah. yeah, I heard I, I, there's I, some I, I, stuff I, I, going on yeah. there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, well, uh, the first two days are mayhem, and then I kind of get my feet underneath me. But, yeah, yeah I'll have I'll have plenty of stuff. Well, thanks for stopping by, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll it. be following your work on Yahoo Sports. You can follow us here on the Colts Audio Network and the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. For Matt Taylor and Lara Overton and our guest, Eric Edholm, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back with you next week looking ahead to NFL free agency. Anyways, thank you for listening to us here on the Colts Audio Network. We'll talk to you next time.